Wow, what a, what a great story. Um, aren't those so fun to hear? So I look forward, it, 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 I would love to hear all of your guys' story. Uh, and if you wonder, like, how do I choose which people is, a lot of these stories are shared in community groups. And so I talk to the community group leaders, and I'm like, hey, who shared their story? And, uh, you know, was it good? And of course it was good. Yes, I mean, it's the story of what God has done. There's no bad stories of what God has done in your life. They're all going to speak to different people. And so, uh, and, and so we get people up here to share their story. So I look forward to hearing more of yours. Um, all right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 3. We're going through the book of John. Uh, and, and we come to what is uh, John three sixteen. And the verses that follow it, um, John 3.16 has probably become the most famous verse in all of the Bible, at least in our day and age. And uh, honestly, for probably good reason. Like, this verse is not overrated, guys. Let's, like, I think we should go, John 3.16, we shouldn't roll our eyes and go, I've heard that one, that suppose that's good, but we should probably think about some other verse. This, this verse is amazing, and it's amazing because I think this verse in the passage we're going to look at, it answers some of the most fundamental, essential questions we have in our life. Every single person on the planet, every single person on the planet, I promise you at one point in their life, probably numerous times throughout their life, they will ask themselves this question. What happens when I die? I can literally remember as like a seven-year-old, like turning that over in my head on my bed, just like, and, and it having a kind of a, a healthy disorientation like this this I should probably figure this one out because the reality is we all die and we all have this question what what happens after death and and we all have this question is is there a real heaven is there a real hell like what is it and and how how can I know for sure that my eternity will be in heaven. Like, we all have this question. Just give me an amen if you're with me. Yeah. This passage gives us the answer. This one verse says, do you want assurance that you will have eternity in heaven? Do you want it? Do you want it? If the answer is yes, here it is. This passage also does another thing. Life is hard, right? Like, life can be hard. And my guess, there are moments in your life, even if those of you who are Christians, some of you, maybe you're not a Christian here, you're coming, you're, you're like, this Jesus thing is new to you, or trying to figure out this more and more. Let me, let me help you for those who have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior. When you do, it's not as if you somehow, you arrive and you know everything and you never have any more problems ever again. That just doesn't happen. And here, here's what happens in our life. Difficulties, trials, hardships, they come. And we can't help but ask the question, does God really love me? Like, does he, 
does he actually really love me no matter what? Or is his love, is God's love like the love I've experienced my whole entire life? And that is, as much as I put into it, as much effort as I give, as as hard as I try, I can expect a similar kind of love. Because that, that's, that's kind of the, that's the love that we experience. Even when we call it, unco- I love my spouse unconditionally. I bet if, I bet that there's times where they don't live like that. And you don't live like that. Can I get an amen? amen. Though it should be unconditional, friends. Just side note. But don't you have moments in your life where you wonder, does God really actually love me? Does God actually want to help me? Does God actually love me in the midst of a miscarriage or in the midst of cancer or in the midst of losing my job? And maybe, maybe, maybe I just need to work harder or maybe, oh, that's it. I need to pray more and read my Bible more and I need to go to church more. And if I do all those things, then, then maybe God, then maybe God will love me and not allow those bad things to happen to me. Your mind never go there? If I just would have loved God more, maybe he would have loved me more. Maybe that's the problem. This passage addresses that. How conditional is God's love for you? What must you do? What must I do? What things does God say you need to do for him to love us? So John 3.16 and the verses that follow say this. For God so, everybody say so. So. Now say it like you mean it. So. For God so loved the world. Now, I want to zero in on a couple of things here in this verse. Just kind of dissect the language for a moment. Because notice, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus very well could have said, for God loved the world. He could have said that, but he doesn't. What does he say? For God so loved the world. This, This word so in the Greek, utas, it literally means... In this way. So in other words, John 3.16 is not merely a verse that says God loves us. But it's a verse that is about God demonstrating how much He loves you. Demonstrating how much He cares for you. So, a little assignment for you. Those of you who have kids that can talk, ask them, how do you know that I love you? I'm willing to bet that every single one of them will not say, well, because you tell me so, Dad, Mom. I I tried this on my son this week. I said, how do you know 
that I love you. And he did not answer by, well, you just tell me over and over again, and you tell me every single night. He didn't say that. His response was actually quite humorous. His response was, well, because you give me hugs and kisses. I can't argue with that. But what I want us to see here is that John 3.16 is... It's not just a verse that says God loves you. It's a verse that is meant to demonstrate God's love for you. To demonstrate the intensity, the degree in which God loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Personally, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian school for a number of years. So I knew this verse well, right? It's like one of your requirements of going to church, apparently, is like, know John 3.16. And for the longest time, it, I, I, I'm not sure it held the weight it ought to have had. And then I had a child, a son, a son. Anybody have a child here? So this is how God demonstrates His love for you. He takes His only Son. This this Greek word only, it literally means one and only. Um, In the Greek, it's literally without equal. God loves you so much that He took His only Son. And He, what did He do? He gave. That's, let's be clear here, that's sacrificial language. That's, that's grace language. He, he gave His one and only Son for you. And, and there, there's a sense in which we go, well, what, what, what must I do to receive this gift? And the answer is, not, nothing. Gifts... See, I think we've, we've done something tricky because here we have Christmas coming upon us and, and there's a sense in which we grew up with a commentary of if you're not good, like there's a whole song about it, like if you're not good, you ain't getting no gifts and then somehow coal is involved, I don't know. But we, we live in a culture that is built this idea that even free gifts somehow need to be earned. That somehow free gifts somehow need to be worked for. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. Do you want to know how much I love you? Do you want to know how much God loves you? Jesus died on the cross for you. And it's free. It's absolutely free free. And if you try to earn it, listen, if you try to earn it, it's not going to work. Because listen, you're just not that great. I'm not that great, right? So this is the, the degree in which God loves you. He gave His Son for you. Would you give your Son would you give up your son on the cross? And, and listen, it's not as if 
God gives his son to a bunch of people that like are really, like we got it together, right? It's not like God gives up his son to, to people who are just following him perfectly. God gives up his son when we are still in our sin. Isn't that amazing? That is, so, so when we come to those moments in our life, I, listen, I have them too, even as a pastor. You come to those moments in your life where you wonder if God will really be good to you. You wonder if God, like, maybe you have a miscarriage and you're like, well, can God really be good with this kind of pain? Or maybe you lose your job, or maybe your tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars are in debt, or maybe you just are constantly anxious, or maybe struggle with depression. Have you ever been in this place where you wonder, like, does God actually really love me? And how can I know? And Jesus says, here's how you can know. I'm going to go to the cross for you. This is where Romans 5 is so helpful. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of wondering, does God really love me? Just go to the cross, guys. The cross... This is why the gospel, it's the answer to everything, friends. It's the answer to hopelessness. It's the answer to pain. It's the answer to tragedy. It's the answer of, does God really love me? Here's how much He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. Isn't that good news? And the passage continues... That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, now let's be clear here. Jesus is making a clear distinction about eternal life and eternal death, right? Do, Do you see that? Will not perish. He's clearly talking about death, but have eternal life. Jesus is making it very, very clear. There is eternal death. There is eternal life. Did you know that Jesus, out of everybody in all of the Bible, Jesus talks about heaven more than anybody else? Suppose that doesn't surprise us. We use Jesus, of course, right? But what, what if I said nobody talks about hell more than Jesus? It's, it's true. Be, because Jesus wants to make it really clear. Hey, hey, listen, there, there is a heaven, there is a hell. This is, that, that's, that's real. That's real. And then we come to verse 17. And what I love about this verse is, this verse is, this verse is the reason why Jesus came. If you... If someone ever asks you, but, but why does Jesus need to come? Why, why does Jesus need to come? Can't, can't God just figure out the salvation thing without Jesus? And this 
this verse answers that question. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So, so let's be clear here. Jesus does not show up. We just, Jesus just gets done going. Eternal life, eternal death. Those are realities. Heaven, hell, those are realities. Verse 17, Jesus says, but let's be really, really clear God does not send the Son to go to all the people and condemn them to hell. He doesn't do that. But rather, it's the absolute opposite. God sends Jesus on a rescue mission. God sends Jesus to save us. To save you and I. To give us eternal life. And and don't miss this. How are we saved? That we might be saved through Him. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. But that's really, really good news. It's really, really good news because... Every other religion out there will say, it's actually up to you. It's actually up to you on getting your way into heaven. In every single different religion, you never ever have any sort of assurance of salvation. And you can't because it depends on you. And let's be real, we're fickle creatures, right? Like one day we are just killing it, we are humble, we are gracious, and kind and generous and then your kids are up all night and the next day you're just you're not any of those things except humble right and Jesus says there is a way to be saved and it's it's through it's through Christ the, the very end of John chapter 3 Um, John the Apostle literally narrates the very end of John chapter 3. What what we were just reading, this is Jesus speaking. But what the Apostle John does in verse 31 all the way to the very end is is John kind of steps back from everything that has been said. Jesus says some really important things and then just reiterates it. And John the Apostle says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. That is to say, he's, John the Apostle is kind of stepping back and going, let me just remind you of Jesus' words. Let me just remind you that Jesus comes from heaven. And oh, by the way, you don't. And salvation comes from heaven and you can't earn it here on earth yourself. In verse 32 it says, He bears witness to what He has seen and heard, yet no one receives His testimony. In other words, isn't it crazy that that people see the miracles of Jesus? People see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and and they're like, yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know about this Jesus guy. And they they reject him. 
In verse 33, it says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. God, why did, why, why did Jesus come to save us? To save us from our sin. And the way that we let the Son save us is, is we believe. That's it. That we just, we just believe. We believe that Jesus died for us. We believe that He rose from the dead. We believe that we need Him for salvation. And you have eternal life. There's a sense in which that almost sounds too simple. Anybody? Like, what, what, what's next? Actually, that's it. Well, what do I, what, what do I need to do? Believe. Well, there's got to be more than just believing. No, just believe. And how many of us, we, we, we can turn our back on this salvation, this assurance of salvation, because it just seems too easy. Just believe. And I, I, listen, let this sit with you for a moment. Do you have the assurance of salvation today? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens, you will spend eternity with God? Do you have that? Many of you, you you know that you do. And maybe some of you, you're like, oh dear, that's actually a really good question. I don't know. Here's what just is so amazing. If you're sitting here going, I, I don't know if I have the assurance of salvation. John the Apostle, this is why he writes this. John the Apostle is like, well, okay, let's get you this assurance of salvation. It's actually pretty simple. Just believe that Jesus died for you. Believe in the Son and you've got it. That's it. Like, you can take care of your assurance of salvation, I don't know, five, ten seconds? A heart of just saying, Jesus, I believe? And that's incredible. That's so incredible. And this passage continues back to John 3.18. It says, whoever believes in Him is not Condemned. I love this piece, this word not condemned. It's in the present active tense, meaning this, that the moment you believe in Jesus, you are no longer condemned forevermore. So if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, right here, right now, no condemnation. And some of you might be going, but... I've done some really, some really unfortunate things. And to God's response, I know I'm God. I sent my son Jesus to cover 
all of that, and it's forgiven, it's taken care of, you should probably stop bringing it up. You are, you're no longer condemned. You, so, when you, so when you end up being a really crummy father, that ever happened to you dads? Like you just, you just you say something you shouldn't have said, or maybe you blow it as a husband or as a wife, and you just you say something you shouldn't, you do something you shouldn't have done. Or it goes beyond that. You've lied, you've cheated, you've committed adultery, you have a pornography addiction. You're like, Zach, it's even worse than that. And yet... We are told that if you have trusted in Jesus, the condemnation you deserve for those sins, they've all been put on Jesus. This is why the cross is so bloody and so horrific. It's because the condemnation of the world, your condemnation, you deserve, my condemnation, I deserve. It's not as if God swept it under the rug and was like, oh, let's forget about that. He takes all of the condemnation and dumps it out on Jesus so that you and I can stand here today knowing that we've blown it yesterday, knowing that we're going to probably blow it tomorrow and still say, there's no condemnation. If I'm in Christ, he's, he's taken all of that. And the passage, it, it just keeps getting so good. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. That word already. Is condemned already. What, is that? what does that mean? Okay, the word condemned, it literally means to be liable for judgment. You're, you're, li- you're liable for judgment. You're liable for for dis you know for for being punished that's what that word condemned means and notice it says we're condemned already that that is to say Jesus Jesus did not need to come into the world and go condemned 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 i just want to let you know you're all condemned because we've actually already done that ourselves the moment we sin so let's put it this way and i don't know if this happens in your home it happens a lot in my home, specifically with my two younger ones. They're old enough to know what's wrong and right, and they're also old enough to know what happens after they're wrong. And so every once in a while, one of the younger two will, you know, sometimes slap a push, or they're really into saying bad Xander or, you know, like, like telling each other, you bad, like talk about condemnation. I wasn't even going there, but like, like telling bad Xander, like doing things they know they shouldn't do. Does this ever happen where your kids do? They do something bad and then, oh dear, wait, dad and mom are in the room and they look at you and you don't even need to give them the snake eye. You don't even need to, you don't need to let them know they're liable for judgment. Here's how I know this. My children will look at me and go, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. 
What are they saying? I know what I did was wrong. I know that I'm liable for judgment. I know that I blew it. Now, they don't have the ability to put things in those terms, but that's what they mean, and that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus did not come to condemn you. We've taken care of that of ourselves by sinning, by turning our back on God. Jesus has come rather to save you and to literally take all that condemnation we've rightfully put upon ourselves to literally take that condemnation and put it on himself and it says now this is this is so important because back to the top but whoever does not believe is condemned already because because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So here's what this is saying. Jesus is, is clarifying how the consequences of condemnation actually come upon us. So we've all, it's one thing to condemn ourselves, it's another for that condemnation to come upon us after we die, separated from God. You guys tracking? And Jesus is explaining how that happens. How is it that someone can be condemned forever? And the answer is by simply not believing. That is how someone is condemned forever. It's not because they do something, it's because they fail to do something quite simple. They fail to believe. Let me state it differently. What sends a person to hell is not some divine decree by God. If you read Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, you'll notice Jesus has this unique reference about hell, namely hell which was created not for you and I. It was created for the devil and all of the demonic powers. So what sends a person to hell is not some divine decree by God. What sends someone to hell is is not like there's some deficiency in Jesus' death on the cross. What sends someone to hell, listen to this, what sends someone to hell is not even because they sin and break God's law. We all do that. So what is it that sends someone to hell ultimately? What sends someone to hell is simply because they don't believe in Jesus. And all of this talk, there's a sense in which, man, keep using the word hell here. Lighten up. And then the word judgment, like, well, what about like that whole God so loved the world thing? Like, oh, can we move from hell? Can we move from judgment? Friends, we don't get or understand the weight of God's love unless we understand what that love has covered, what that love has saved us from. 
And God loves you so much that he says, believe in me and you are saved. Believe in me. There is never any condemnation. And so may, may we just keep asking ourselves the question and hopefully answering it. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? It, it, it's almost as if you get to this point of the passage and go, okay, wait. The only thing that sends someone to hell is, is because they simply don't believe. So what, why, is it that, why is it that everyone do, just doesn't believe? Right? Isn't there a sense of like, gosh, this seems so simple. Like, believe in Jesus. Why doesn't everybody do this? And Jesus gives us the answer in these next two verses. And he gives two reasons. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. To put it more simply... The, the reason why some people will say, I don't want to believe in Jesus, is because they, they love their sin more than Jesus. Like, to, to trust in Jesus means that I need to turn away from my lifestyle of sin, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I talked about this last week with, with this girl. I'm, I'm flying home um, from Africa and, and just sharing the gospel with her. And her response was like, you know, um, maybe when I'm a little bit older. And it was just very clear, very simple. Like Her response was, I, I kind of like the life I'm living. I kind of like doing things my way. To, to, to believe in Jesus means I go his way and I kind of love my own way. And then verse 20, the second reason why people don't believe, Jesus says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, here, here, here's the key, lest his works should be exposed. Here's the second reason why people don't believe. By believing in Jesus, we come into the light and all of our sin and all of our brokenness gets exposed for what it is. And that's, that's hard, right? I don't, I don't want to underestimate how heavy that is. To trust in Jesus is to revisit some of the most traumatic and dark and sinful things that you have done, and, and you feel like you've done a pretty good job of just burying those, and like, let's never resurrect those, let's never bring those up. If I don't think about them, then they have no power over my life, clearly. And people, what they fail to realize is that when we come to Jesus and trust in Him, yes, every sin you've ever committed is exposed for what it is. But did you know it's also forgiven completely and fully at the very same moment? Forever? What breaks my heart is how many, how many people will choose not to believe in Jesus because it's as if it's it's as if they are letting go of any opportunity of joy in their life. 
or letting go of any, any hopes of living the life they've always wanted to live. And may we be reminded in this passage that when we come to Jesus, what we come to is light. What we come to is the joy of no condemnation. What we come to is literally a constant reminder of how much God loves us. How much does He love you? He sent His Son for you. To die for you. And I just want to, I want you to sit in this. I want to just kind of speak to two different groups of people because I started out with this question, the assurance of salvation. The passage deals with that. But also those of us who struggle to believe that God is a generous God to us. Some of us, you pray certain prayers and you're like, well, I just, I'm not quite sure God's going to answer this one. Like, why would he? I don't know. It seems like a big one to answer. He's, he's, I've actually had like well-meaning Christians like say, he's actually got some more important things to answer than that one. Let's start with the latter group. If you ever wonder if God is a generous God to you, look at the cross. He gave His Son for you. Romans 8.32, one of the most magnificent verses in all the Bible, it says, for He, that's speaking of God, for He who did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us, do you know the last two words? All things. Hold on, God. All things. What about that certain prayer I've been praying, and maybe I'm not sure if it's selfish or not, and I'm just not going to pray it. You ever do that? And God's like, no, all things. Now, it doesn't mean that God's going to give it to you the same way I'm not going to give everything my son asked for because it would not be good for him in the long run. But, but the point is this, that because of the cross, you can live with an assurance that your God is a generous God to you. Because of the cross, because Jesus came to die for you, you can live with the assurance that God desires to be generous to you. You got a certain prayer that you want to pray, but feel like, I don't know if God is into that kind of thing. Just start praying it. Because God is a God that is generous. He's, he, is a fa- he is a father that loves to give to his kids. And so lean into that. Be reminded all week long, my God is a generous God. He loves to give. He loves to give so much he gave his son, Jesus. And then for those of you, again, I just, 
This is the most essential question in all of life. Are you saved? Do you have the assurance of salvation? And remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him. Did, did you notice, by the way, that that the belief comes through a person, not a concept. It doesn't say, whoever believes that if you do really good works or try really hard, then you'll have eternal life. No, 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 no. Salvation comes through the Son of God. Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? And if you haven't, I beg of you to just take that step of faith today. Can I pray for us? Gracious Father, you are a good Father. You are a generous Father. You're so generous that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die for us. And some of us, we come in here struggling to believe that you are a generous God, that you want to give us good gifts, that you want to bless us. And, 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 and that verse in Romans 8, he, he graciously desires to give us all things. Graciously. That you desire to freely give us all things. That your love is not conditional. God, would you free us from this slavery of thinking that we've got to pray a certain amount of times, we've got to read our Bible a certain amount of times, we've got to go to church a certain amount of times, we've got to do enough good deeds, and then, and then, God, then you'll be good to us, and then you'll answer our prayers, and then you'll be generous to us. God, isn't, God you, you are generous to us, even if we never pray for the rest of our life. You are generous to us even if we never go to church again. That your generosity is not defined by our effort or our good works. It is, it's free. And some of us, we need to be pushed into that generosity today. Would you, would you bring us to that place of just being reminded that you are so good to us? you gave your son for us and with every head bowed and every eye closed I just want to have a moment for those of you here and you've never trusted in Christ as your savior maybe you're old maybe you're young maybe you're somewhere in between but you've never believed in Jesus as your savior I want to give you an opportunity to do that right here right now In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you want to trust in Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to make that confession. This is not like some magical pixie dust, if I just say these right words, then I'm saved. No, this is a confession of your heart. And I just want you to say this, maybe in your own words, to God right here, right now. 
God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I believe Jesus has taken all of my sin away and I am forgiven. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you made that decision, would you please consider sharing that with someone? We're going to have a prayer team to my right here. And please go and receive prayer. Some of you just need prayer through some of the circumstances that in your life are going on in your life. If you made a decision for Jesus today, would you consider going over there? And they would love to give you a hug and to pray with you. But let's just take the opportunity to stand and worship. Amen.